0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity, Lord, to to come together as your family, as your household, and to look at your word, to consider the things which are written within your word. And our desire, Lord, is to um, know more of you today, to draw closer to you today, Lord Jesus, whatever that means. Um, Whether we need to be open to be full of more love, more compassion, whether we need to be more disciplined within our lives, uh, whether we need to show ourselves more friendly, whatever it is we need, Lord, we pray that as we consider these things, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, you would do your work, that inner work in the inner man, Lord, and you draw us closer to yourself. So we commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you, family. And we, as you probably are aware, we're going through this series in um, First Timothy. And the series has been entitled, God's Healthy Household. And we come to chapter 3 right now, and as many of you would know if you're students of God's Word, that it starts looking at um, leadership and qualifications to be a leader in God's house. And so um, it seemed to stand to reason to call this God's Healthy Overseers. And so that is the title for today's message. And... um, As we look at these verses, the first seven verses in First Timothy chapter three, um, we're going to see exactly what God requires from His leaders, the leaders of His church. And um, it's some of them, some of the qualities are self-explanatory, and some of them just, you know, when we look at them, it just makes us wonder how, over the centuries, the church has got it all so wrong. How we've built up leaders who really don't meet the requirements, the qualifications to be leaders. And so um, as we consider the things today, my prayer is that you're not sitting there today thinking, well, I'm not a leader. And so does it really apply to me? Because it's God's word and it, it all applies to us. There's qualities here. If we're not leaders, you know, over God's church, we're probably, you're a leader of yourself, you may be a leader in a family, you may be a leader at work, and God's looking for specific qualities in your life. Amen? Amen. So let us read the first seven verses. There's a lot in here, so we may take our time today because there's a lot in here, but it's only so far we can go in looking at all of these aspects so again, I do encourage you that in your own personal study life, in your study time, that you would just start to delve in a bit more and unpack these things for yourselves. Amen? Amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If everybody's there, please say amen. Amen. That's what I like to hear. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, reading from the New King James, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behaviour, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the snare of condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony amongst those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. Here in chapter 3, what we see is we see the Apostle Paul continuing to address the false teachers which had arisen and had elevated themselves in the church of Ephesus. And he's addressing the fact that their false teaching now had um, the negative effect of being outworked in the form of their behavior. So they were teaching the wrong things, and now they were acting in the wrong way. And the Apostle Paul knew that if this type of teaching and this type of behavior was left unchecked, that it was only a matter of time before it would start filtering its way down to the congregation. And before you knew it, you know, the whole household of God would just be walking in chaos. There would be confusion. And so the Apostle Paul, as we know, he pens this letter and he writes these instructions to Timothy. And in writing this, you know, he gives Timothy this added weight, and this added authority so that he could address the situation. And that's very, very interesting, because sometimes you, as an individual, may be in a situation where, you know, you say something, and you don't quite think it has that that weight, that authority. And then you may think that, well, wait till the boss comes, and they'll tell you. You You know, there's that added bit of weight if the boss says it. Or if you're a mother and you know, you're talking to your children, you say, wait till your father comes home. You know, there's that added bit of weight and authority which is, which is there. Now, Paul has written this letter because he's given Timothy this added bit of weight, this added bit of authority. So, that when, so when Timothy speaks, you know, whoever is listening to it will know this is the voice of God. And so he writes this letter and what we have in in chapter 3 is this list of qualifications that should be used to ascertain the call of God in a person's life. The call of God in a person's life. And this list is also repeated in Titus chapter 1 verses 6 to 9. And if you've been around here for some time, you know that You know, if God repeats something within his word, we know that he's trying to emphasize a point. He's trying to catch our attention in something. And so, a list of qualifications. And what it's actually saying is that if an individual desires to be in ministry if they desire to be in a leadership position then we are able to use these verses to see if that individual meets the requirements that is not set out by the church but is set out by God set out by God to lead his people and you know as we consider these things we know that you know leadership is very very important very important because you know, a leader sets the tone, you know, sets the, well they should set the tone, they should set the direction of, of how, you know, a congregation is going to be led. If you're, in, you know, if you're a father in your house, you should be setting some form of tone of how you are leading your family. If your mother's a you know, single parent, then you're, lead, you're, you're setting some type of tone of how you are leading and establishing your family. In the workplace, in every area of life, leadership is so, so very important. And so, how much more so in the household of God? That the leaders of God's household know what they're doing. That they are qualified and as we think about the concepts of leadership we know that throughout the scriptures as we look from Genesis to Revelation we know that God has you know been instrumental in calling strong leaders not perfect leaders but strong leaders if we think about Abraham and how God called him out of the land of Ur to establish a people to be a leader of a people. We think of Moses who took the children of Israel out of bondage into the wilderness and led them strong leadership. As Moses was leading, we know that we had Joshua waiting in the wings, learning of Moses. And then so when Moses um, passed, on, passed on, we know that Joshua was there ready to take up the mantle and to continue leading the nation. We look in the life of of the judges and how Israel, when they didn't have a strong leader, they would always sin. They would always rebel. But when God prompted someone, raised up someone, raised a leader, everything was put back into order. Leadership. You know, we see strong leadership from King David establishing the kingdom. We see strong leadership From the prophets who weren't afraid to declare the word of God. When the nation were going one way, they said, you know what? God is not happy with you. He's not pleased with you. Return unto the Lord. Many of them lost their lives because of it. Then we have that strong call and leadership of John the Baptist preparing the way for the lord you know leadership is so important i hope you're just getting pictures of your own individuals through the scriptures who god called to be leaders then we have jesus in his earthly ministry you know he you know called the disciples called them to be apostles called them to lead his people to establish new testament doctrine And now what we have is we have the holy spirit you know working in individuals hearts calling them into the ministry to continue to lead and direct and care for god's people you know i don't know about you but what i see there's a lovely picture of the father the son and the holy spirit all working at different points throughout time you know drawing people raising people to achieve their purpose we have the father in the Old Testament speaking from heaven and calling people we have Jesus in his earthly ministry again literally calling his disciples and now again we have the Holy Spirit working on people's hearts drawing people so Paul's gonna list here qualifications for leaders And Again, as I said, you may be here thinking, well, I'm not a leader. I don't think I've been called. Well, you don't really know. Because the Lord may be doing a work on your heart right now, which you, you know, he's just raising something in your heart right now, thinking, you know what, I feel like the Lord has called me to lead people. You could be in that place. But as well as it being qualifications for people to, to lead God's people, on the flip side it's also the qualifications that you as a congregation, you should be looking out for you know is this person who, is, who I call one of my leaders, you know do they actually fit the criteria, the requirements you know, you should be able to look at these things and again as I said at the beginning you know, throughout the centuries maybe congregations weren't doing that and sadly were led astray because people had their own agendas as they were leading churches. And so everything which Paul lists here points to the right character of a leader and the right behavior of a leader or an overseer of God's household. And the whole intention of this is, is so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So that we must know how we ought to conduct ourselves. The leadership must know how to lead and the congregation must know how to support that leadership. So these verses which I read, verses 1 to 7, you know, students of the word our first observation is that we have three notable features in these verses firstly the list gives character qualifications and not duties so as we look at the list it's not saying well if you work in children's church or if you're on sound or if you're part of hospitality then you know you're qualified it's not saying that but moreover than that, what it's saying is that if you work in Sunday school, if you work in hospitality or on the sound, you may be displaying these character traits which are there as a leader. And so it flips it a little bit. Secondly, most of the qualifications reflect outward observable behaviour. So it is a matter of what do people see you doing? How do they see you acting? You know, many of us have times where we're not feeling that great. We don't necessarily want to talk to people. We don't necessarily want to be around people. And do you know what the scripture says to that? Put on Christ. That's what the scripture says. You're no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Now you have to put on Christ. When well, I don't feel like it, well, it's not a matter of your feelings. You've got to put on Christ. And when we put on Christ and we deny ourselves, that's exactly what it is. We're denying ourselves. We're acting as Christ would have us act. You know, people look at those things and think, wow, that person's always on top of their game. They may not necessarily—they don't see the inward conflict you're having and, and turmoil you're having, but outwardly you're not showing that. You're not just going around with that violin saying, "Oh me, I'm having such a rough time. My world is so bad." It may be, but put on Christ. How about count it all joy? When you you fall into these temptations or diverse trials. How about counting it all joy? Putting on Christ. Why is that person so happy? Oh, their world's falling apart. But they're happy. They're joyous. And so it's outward, observable character traits, behavior. And, you know, it's important because... People want to, they don't just want to listen to what you believe, they want to see what you believe. You, you, you talk a good game. You talk a good, go, a, a, a good talk, but can you walk that walk? Can you live like that? That's what people want to see. That's, that's the thing which people, you know, it breaks the yoke. And so thirdly, none of these items listed are they're not distinctly christian in the sense that they are not virtues such as you know you're not seeing love joy peace you know faith purity you're not seeing that in this list but the list you know it it again it asks the question through these virtues through through your outworking of your behavior how do people see Love, joy, peace, purity, faith. How's that being displayed? Not because you say, oh, I've got the joy of the Lord. Or I have the peace of God. How do do people see that? You know, how do you demonstrate that in reality? So that you're not talking the, the, the language of Zion. And it's, you're so high in the heavens that you have, you're of no earthly good, as, it's, as it says. People want you to be real. And they want to see these things. And so, it asks all these questions. And the fact is, Paul writes this, and he's challenging what the false teachers and the false leaders were doing. Their behavior, their teaching. They were bad examples. They were bringing the gospel into disrepute because of their lack of moral behavior. They were being a terrible witness in the church and outside of the church. And so again, Paul outlines a standard where the genuine leaders of God's household would be good examples on both fronts, not just in church when we all get together and we're all friends and we all love to talk the language of Zion again, but when we're out in the world... People in your workplace probably doesn't even know that you're a Christian. How do you behave then? What's your reputation like then? How do you act then? So, it's looking at our behavior on two fronts, within and with outside the church. So, in verse 1, we're actually going to get there now. In verse 1, um, The Apostle highlights that the position itself is an honorable position. And he introduces this with with what is considered to be a New Testament formula, which believers of the day, you know, they would have understood. They would have appreciated it as being a weighty statement. It would have been of great importance to them. Maybe we don't necessarily view it like that today. And... It's kind of like if we were talking, I said, trust me. You can, you can rely on this, trust me. Now, you don't necessarily need to trust me because who am I at the end of the day. But you get the point. It's, it's trying to say, you know, this is weighty. This is noteworthy. You can actually trust what I'm going to say now. And so he says, this formula is, he says, this is a faithful saying. You know, and it's a phrase which Paul uses five times in the New Testament. And again, it basically means it's noteworthy in God's eyes. You can put your mortgage on it. That what I'm about to say to you is good. And he says, this is a faithful saying, if a man, now I've got to pause there. If a man, the first requirement that the office of leading and overseeing the church of God, you know, the first requirement here is that it is for men. And some translations, as I've read from the New, Test, uh, the New King James, but some translations render that whosoever, whosoever desires. But as I was studying this, um, you know, I actually studied that this is actually written and it's gender specific. In the Greek it is gender specific and it uses the word tis which is a masculine word. And so as we look at this you know some people try to say whosoever and they try and leave a little door open so it would be for men or for women but the Greek text sticks in the masculine tense and so it's, it's literally and specifically talking to men. And as you go through the list, right up into verse 12 of chapter 3, all of the adjectives in here are in the Greek masculine tense. And so for me, I think there's no argument. And I have no argument with God's word, and I have no argument with discussing it either. But, you know, I think what what we need to do is... Get out of our sort of lighten up, please forgive me, get out of our women's lib kind of like framework and just get into God's lib framework, if that makes sense. Let God be true. Right, if God's word says it, and in the original Greek text it's written in a masculine tense, then I'm going to stick with God. And I think we should stick with God. And it's interesting that Paul writes this and he writes this on the back of what Pastor Ephraim looks at last week, was chapter 2, and those verses coming towards it, which was specifically talking about the role of women within the church. And so for me, it's, it's a no-brainer. And so, Paul specifically in chapter 2, verses 1, um, 1 to 14, basically addresses the role of women within the church. And, but this now, he's, he's talking specifically to men. It's a limited call for men. And it says, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good thing. And two times in verse 1, we see that the word desire is used. But it actually uses two different Greek words to come up with the one English word we have which is desires which is interesting and the first word for desires is origo gome and this actually is a passion that is displayed outwardly that's what that word desires means so if a man outwardly displays the character of a bishop he desires epithumio a good thing and the word epithumio is a word which denotes that inward work that inward passion that inward compulsion which is going on inside so really what you're having here is you're having the two things playing play out, out in itself you have that inward work he has that passion on the inside which is being displayed outside and it's just evident for everybody to see. Now many of you may have had examples where somebody is not necessarily in a leadership role but you look at them you think I can see that you've just got pastor written all over you. Maybe not now but you can see how God is just working in your life and cultivating you and bringing you to that place where one day you're going to be a pastor and it's because God is placing you know doing that work inside and it's being outworked they may not have the hat they may not be wearing the t-shirt but you can see it's evident for everyone and so what these things what these words desires are actually communicating to us is that it's speaking of a a man who recognizes the passion and calling of god in on the inside that is obviously manifested through his actions and being displayed on the outside You know, what we actually have here is an echo of Philippians chapter 2. Where the scripture says that God is working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. But within that little chapter as well, it says, okay, God's working it in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So what's our responsibility? to work out our salvation with fear and trembling we have to work out what god is working in and so again maybe you're here today maybe you're not called to be a leader but the question is do you think you're in that place where you're working out what god is working in your life and if you're working it out are you working it out with fear and, trembling. and it's not the fear which I just did there, like, oh, I'm so scared of God. But because you reverence God, and you just want to be pleasing before God, that you're, you, all that's in you just wants to work it out. And, you know, it's interesting, just as an observation, and, uh, you know, I don't mean to come down on people, but it's interesting that I remember when we first got saved, you know, people had aspirations of, you know being pastors or being evangelists and the fivefold ministry and sort of like really getting down to business with the Lord and like you kind of like go around the block a few times and people are just happy just to turn up now they're not desiring to be leaders they're not desiring to be all that God has called them to be Lord what is your purpose for my life maybe that was a question one day but somewhere along the line, it's kind of like got mixed up in life and the routine and, you know, whatever it may be. And that's, that's the fear and that's the, the problem of um, the parable of the sower, isn't it? Because the cares of, of this life, you know, it, it goes and it just starts choking. And before you know it, like 20 years have passed and you're thinking, man, what happened? What what was my purpose in my life? What did God actually call me to do? And the fact is, it's never too late. It's never too late. We can always, you know, we can always make up ground with the Lord. Amen? You know, there's always that, that day where we say, do you know what, Lord, I haven't been up with the game, but today I choose to be part of the program. Amen? Can I get a witness out here? You guys are quiet today. It's my voice, isn't it? I know. So, Paul is addressing those people who have that right inner motivation, that right desire to be leaders, to, to start expressing it those desiring that office now in my bible it says bishop but a better rendering would be overseer but in the new testament when we see the words bishop overseer pastor elder shepherd we're basically talking about the same thing we're talking about those who god has who's put in a leadership position over the house over his household and the verse here goes to say that they desire a good thing. And again, this is interesting because the Scriptures does say to us that we, we, we shouldn't desire things, we shouldn't covet things. But this is, this is something we can covet with the right motivation. Just like the Scripture says, you know, covet those, those mo- more notable gifts of the, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. We should be coveting them. And so, it's not a bad thing. Now, the word bishop here, which in the Greek is episkopos, it does actually mean someone who oversees, someone who looks out for. Um, and, and you should expect that someone, someone who is leading a church should be looking out for your best spiritual interests Um, but interestingly the word also um, carries this aspect of inspection and I heard a few there because inspection you know when you heard of inspection or being inspected usually you get this kind of like bad thought in your mind yes you know, if you're teachers, can you just raise your hands? Any teachers in the house? Right, a few teachers in the house. When you hear the Ofsted come in, what do you think? You start, you start thinking trouble. You start thinking, oh my goodness, I better have my game together. My, cl- my, t- my lesson plans better be up to scratch. The te- children better be in order. You know, everything must run as clockwork. Amen? You're right. Okay, we're not all teachers here. How many people drive? Okay, how many people are just not going to raise their hand no matter what I say? <laughs> okay, well, if you drive and that time of the year comes when the MOT's got to come up and you know your car is going to be inspected, you make sure that those light bulbs, the brakes, you know, your, your um, emissions, all sorted. Because if you go to the MOT and they say ah, ah, failure, you're paying out a lot of money. So usually when we hear the word inspection, we normally get a bit fearful. Ah, this is gonna kinda like put me in a position where I've gotta actually make sure my game is straight. And isn't it funny? I mean, look, I'm, I'm this side of the pulpit, okay? Now, do you feel that when Pastor Robert or Pastor Ephraim sort of like comes into town? Do you feel like, oops, I better make sure like my game is straight? I'm not saying you should i'm just saying that it's funny how the office carries that aspect to it it carries the aspect that those who oversee should be looking out for your interest but those who oversee should be able to look at your life and inspect your life because you consider them to be your leader so they should have every right to look at your life and say how's it going is that fair I think it is fair. But then we get into this place where we don't want to be inspected. Just like we don't really want to have the hassle of, does my car really need the brakes done? (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Do Ofsted really need to come in here? Well, maybe not. (laughs) Amen. Amen. But we get into that zone, we don't want to be inspected. We don't, have, we don't want someone to start looking at our lives and questioning which, some things which may not be quite right. But then what you're actually doing is you're not allowing the leaders to, to avail themselves of an aspect of their role which they should be doing. Not because they don't want to do it, it's because you're not letting them do it. And if they're not doing it, you should be coming to them and saying, this is what's going on. You know, and and in in different areas, it it does happen. Don't get me wrong, it does happen. So, this aspect of inspection is a very interesting one. So, I know I'm just not even at verse 2 yet, so let's just carry on, let's crack on. As Paul starts giving this list, listen to to the language that, that Paul uses as he outlines the qualifications. You know, he says a bishop or an overseer then must be I would have liked it if he says could be or could work to be but he says must be and so with this you kinda like seeing well there's not much room for you know there are no optional qualities here we should be seeing some level of these qualities within someone's life. Now, this isn't saying, I've got to get the balance here. It's not saying that this person, your leader, must be perfect and they must have everything dialed in. But you should be able to see aspects of these qualities within their lives. And this is scary because, you know, it's like I'm here as a leader, as a, tar- as a target. <laughs> People saying, oh, I don't see that in your life, Patrick. Ping! <laughs> But this is the word of God, amen? And so, there are things which should be evident in people's lives as, in, as leaders. And it says that a bishop or overseer then must be, it's not optional, must be blameless. Now, again, if you're reading that, and as I read that, I just thought, my goodness, we might as well stop there then. Because blameless? Who can literally hold up their hands and say, say, I'm blameless in my life. In everything I do, whether in thought, word or deed, I am blameless. You can't say it. So I had to think, well, Paul, what are you actually saying here? What are you trying to communicate to us? And what I believe that Paul is actually communicating, and I think how he uses this, is that He uses blameless like a heading, like a covering in a sense. And so an overseer there must be blameless and now he's going to start listing the things he should be blameless in. Does that make sense? And so he lists three areas where an overseer, a leader, must be blameless and that's in his character, in his home life and in his reputation. So uh, an overseer must be blameless or above reproach in being an example. And it says here the first thing, the husband of one wife. Now again, there's much which could be said about this just like there's much which we could discuss about, you know, is it this role just for a man or is it for a man and a woman? But, And I encourage your personal study in this. But suffice it to say that the original structure of the text in the Greek does render this as being a one woman man. And what Paul is actually contrasting is how an overseer should behave and conduct themselves in the household of God as opposed to how the overseers were not behaving the examples of the leaders are not behaving okay and so he's saying they should be a one woman man now many people look into this and say therefore an overseer has to be a married man I don't believe the text is actually saying that but again that's something we can get into another time but what he's saying is that if you are married you should be a one-woman man. You shouldn't be messing around. That's what it's actually saying. And the fact is that the false teachers, they were openly, you know, being sexually immoral. And infidelity was rife within the culture. So in its simplest form, Paul is just saying, if you're married, then make sure you are faithful to your wife and be above reproach in this area don't allow somebody to come and say oh you're married to that person but oh I saw you at the club with that person the other night ooh. be above reproach in that sense and it's saying that if you're not married then don't get caught up in sexual immorality because if you get up in sexual immorality this is will disqualify you from taking up a position as being an overseer in the church. Now it will disqualify you, but I'll believe not not totally. And the reason why I say that is because the Apostle Paul was a murderer. I mean, well he wasn't a murderer, but he consented to, you know, putting people to their death. You'd fit and he says that I am the chief of sinners. And you'd think to yourself, well, you know, you're still a leader of God God called you. So there has to be a process of repentance. There has to be a process of restoration which can be made in order for a person to, you know, because we all have BCs. We all have our before Christ. Things which we did. Some of them carry more stigma than others. Some of the things we did. But there has to be a process of repentance. It's not the unpardonable sin, in my opinion. And so basically, it's saying, be a what if you're married, be a one-woman man. If you're not married, don't get caught up in sexual immorality. Next, we have is temper. Generally, this word is often associated with alcohol, but alcohol is then listed in verse 3, so it must be talking about something different. Um he must be talking about another qualification and what i believe is paul's actually addressing here is an individual who is what they call free from excess or passion or rashness um, which basically takes the place of christ in their life now maybe not a good example but maybe if you can get the picture of the footballer the football supporter who loves his team, loves his shirt. You know, when Rooney scores a goal, you know, he's there with his shirt and he kisses the badge. And the football supporter who loves his team. Everything he talks about is football, football, football. And if his team loses over the weekend, the dog better mind out. Because it just affects their whole mood. And so what it's kind of like saying is like, you've got a passion there, you've got something you love desperately, which isn't a bad thing because God is not saying, don't have any passions, don't have any hobbies, don't have any, he's not saying that. But when, when those things start taking the place of Christ in your life, then it's a problem. Then it's a problem. You know, if you're so emotionally entangled with something that your team loses on a Saturday and that's it for the rest of the week, you've got a slight problem you know when you're in a conversation and I'm not saying every, everything you say should be Jesus 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 but you're quite happy to talk about football and you never slip the Lord in there never slip the Lord in there mm, maybe that's a little bit of an area of your life where the Lord can just shine his light in and start doing a bit of work so, the leader of God's household, you know, you want him to be someone who's going to be representing the Lord well. And he, he's not overbalanced in these ways. I mean, you know, I could be guilty of talking about bikes, my wife will tell you. Gamma may tell you. And so, we have to know that God wants us to have interests and hobbies, but put them in their right place. Because these things, again, could hinder us from being, you know, in the word, in fellowship. They have this emotional grip on us, and, and they're things which could hinder us from functioning in the role of an overseer. Um, the next thing, the third thing is sober-minded. And in so many ways, some of these things are like stepping stones for the other. And you know, you're not totally overly passionate about something. You've got it in balance. You're thinking clearly. And that's what sober-minded is. You're, you're thinking clearly about things. When all hell breaks out in your life, you're not like, oh, start pulling out your hair. I haven't got much hair. But you, you don't start pulling out your hair. You, you, can, you can look at the situation and make a decision about it. Being sober-minded. It's being able to, to concentrate in any situation, even if there's chaos. It's not... Being frivolous towards the word of God and the things of God—that's what it's talking about. And then we have the next thing, which is of good behavior. And this qualification is the outward expression, a bit similar to what I've mentioned before, and display of that inward work of self-control. You know, because you are not overly balanced in one area or the other because you're thinking clearly. Again, people can see this characteristic in your life and they're drawn towards it. And it's interesting because this word good behavior is from the Greek word kosmios. And um, it basically speaks of someone who has an orderly system of living. And... In my studies, I thought it was a very, very interesting thing that cosmos comes from the root word cosmos, which we know God created the world. And when he created the world, he created it in an orderly fashion. He created it with time and space, and everything is in order. We have those 24 hour cycles, periods every day, and you know, everything goes around, around. We have the seasons and everything. And so it's kind of like speaking of the same thing an individual, we're speaking of a leader who has things in order. They live to an orderly system of life. You see, these are the things, these are the qualities which, you know. You want to be able to actually see a glimpse of in your leaders' lives. The next thing we have is being hospitable. And this is interesting. Because this is not just speaking about, you know, everyone come around my house today for for some dinner and some fellowship and let's listen to some gospel music and let's have some good, good conversation. It's not just speaking about that. It's speaking about, you know, what the Lord spoke about in Luke 14. He says, you know, don't just invite your friends because anybody can do that. You know, you invite the people who, who you get along with, you have your, your interest with and everything, but what about the lame and the maim and the stranger? What about them who can't repay you? You don't have any interest with. You see, Paul is raising the bar because Jesus raised the bar. And so when it's talking about being hospitable, it's talking about, look, Go beyond yourself. Someone who goes beyond themselves to show themselves are friendly. And, you know, there's, there's so many scriptures in, in, in the New Testament which says that we should be hospitable. But the one which really, really interests me is in Hebrews chapter 13. And without just paraphrasing, it talks about, you know what, you know, it's be careful as you, you know, are hospitable to strangers because unaware, you could be entertaining angels. You know, and it gives us that picture of when, is it Abraham, when the three angels came before him and they were gonna, I think it was when they were gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he was speaking with them and he was entertaining them, unawares. And so, who knows, you may have done a good deed towards someone you're entertaining an angel without, without being aware of it. And without it even sounding too flaky, because that's Bible. The next thing we have here is being able to teach. And this is from the Greek word didaktikos. And this is the only requirement given in the list as a specific skill and function. And as we look at this, being able to teach, we know that it's reinforced in the other pastoral epistles. You know, again, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's mentioned again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy, um, no, sorry, Titus chapter 1, verse 9. And when it says being able to teach, what it's actually describing is is teaching's primary purpose. And the primary purpose of teaching... It has the purpose of us all coming together and being encouraged in the Lord and being built up in the Lord. But the primary purpose of teaching is sharing the gospel to a lost and dying world. So it's basically saying that someone desiring to be an overseer should be able to, you know, break down the scriptures in a simple and plain and palatable way so that an unsaved person will get it. They would hear the words. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he would do his thing and they will come to a place of saving faith. So that's what it's speaking about, being able to teach. So that the gospel will go forth, but also so that God's people will be built up. And it's, it's so that God's people can be built up so that we all come to the unity of the faith. Ephesians 4. Okay, verse 3. We have the next characteristic and it says not given to wine and it's interesting that paul links not given to wine with teaching because um anyone who is under the influence of alcohol i'm sure would find it a struggle to be able to teach in the old testament you know there are specific requirements that the priest could not indulge in alcohol as they pre- um, present themselves before the Lord. And as Paul writes this, we know that these false teachers were regularly displaying drunkenness. And they had received this reputation because they were regularly going out and getting lean. They were not exercising temperance as we've just discussed they were not exercising self-control and they were being a bad witness to those inside the church and also to those outside the church they were hindering the work of god because they were indulging they were giving themselves over to alcohol and so it says that the overseer should not be given over now I don't personally have a problem with alcohol. Um, I don't believe that it is saying that they should not touch alcohol whatsoever. I don't believe it's saying that. Um, Paul wouldn't go on to say to Timothy, you know, have a, have a little wine for my like stomach's sake, if that was the case. Um, Jesus wouldn't say things like, I won't partake of the fruit of the vine until I come back in glory. He wouldn't say, things like that wouldn't be said if we are to totally but the whole point is moderation that's the whole point moderation the whole point is is alcohol having a place in your life where you can't live without it if you're in that place you know because I believe that a glass of wine or a beer after a hard day's work is fine but again moderation are you drinking that to get lean? Are you drinking? Are you going out? And it's a regular date. You go out with your pals after work and you have a few bevies and, boy, you get a little bit lean and a little bit tipsy. And that's your lifestyle. Because if that is your lifestyle, maybe you're not being such a good witness. You know, maybe someone who, you know, can't really leave it as one or two glasses of wine. Maybe you're... You know, you're being a bad witness to them because they haven't got that liberty. You're all right with one or two glasses, but they're not. They'll take the three, the four, the five. They, they'll go for it. And, you know, you know, as I was just considering these things, as I said, I haven't got a problem with alcohol per se. I just think that as believers or an overseer needs to be careful if they partake of alcohol, especially in public because they don't know who's watching them. You don't know. And as I said, they may not have that liberty, what you have. And First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, All things are what? All things are, I can't hear you. All things are, you know, unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So we have liberty, but don't be brought under the power of it. That is the point. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. You know, I love this verse. For you brethren have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. I'm not going to use this as an opportunity for the flesh. I'll serve you in the fact that I won't do it because I know you haven't got that liberty. See, Somebody who lives like that, who thinks like that soberly, soberly, they are showing the ingredients, the characteristics of somebody who can be a leader. And so, you know, I think we have to be careful as leaders, but I think it just speaks to believers as a whole. We just have to be careful because we could be hindering someone from coming to the Lord in that sense. And then Paul makes this link between alcohol and violence. Because the next thing he says is not violent. And (laughs) in England, we have a terrible culture of alcohol and violence. I mean, they're even trying to address it, you know, 12th hour because of the Olympic Games. And they don't want to see people sort of like falling out of bars, getting drunk and having fights and everything. But the link between alcohol and violence, we all know about it. And you know, as you consider these things, you know, it would be absurd to think that the leader of your church was out in the clubs getting lean and then was starting to have a fight. I saw, I saw Pastor P outside the club the other day, you know, and he was punching up some man, you know, and he was getting punched up too. Rolling into church, two black eyes. What happened to you, Pete? Oh, you know, you should see the other guy. It would be madness, wouldn't it? How could you expect that of a leader of your church, of any church? And so it just stands to reason that Paul said, these people should not be violent, but these false teachers, what were they? They were violent. Getting drunk and being violent. But not only that, you know, they were greedy for money and they weren't gentle. They were quarrelsome, quarrelsome. You know, quarrelsome, they... All these characteristics which again are not good. And when it says that, you know, they were covetous, it wasn't just being covetous for money. They were covetous for fame, they were covetous for popularity, you know, covetous for all these things. And that's exactly not what the lord wants for those who are representing him coveting money and fame and popularity you know god likes saying things like humble yourself under the mighty hand of god that you know he will exalt you in due season humble yourself we're looking for fame for if god gives you fame praise god if he doesn't give you fame praise god if god gives you money praise god if he doesn't give you money Praise God. That's how it should be. And so Paul builds this picture. And he lists the qualifications of what, a char- what the character of someone designed to be an overseer should look like. And I don't know how I'm doing for time, but... right, Alright, let's try and do it quickly. Then in verse 4, what he actually does is he, he, he starts looking at another area of life. And another area of characteristics and all these things now start centering around the home because he's basically gonna start saying you know an overseer can't be one thing at home and something else in church there must be some consistency there so what you see on a Sunday is the same thing you're gonna see if you go around their house and the same thing you see in their house is the same thing you're gonna see on a Sunday at church and so he lists the home because the home basically is a microcosm of, of the church. You see, the home is the ideal proving ground for leadership skills where love, authority, order, care, stability, direction, discipline, you know, all these things are ad- administered in the home. So the idea is looking at, is he responsible in the home? Is he Faithful in the home. If he's married, does he love his wife? If he has has children, does he take care of them? Does he raise them in the fear of the Lord? Does he pay his bills? Does he get to work on time? All these things, practical things. And it says that One who rules his own house well, and again, if he has children, and having his children in submission with all reverence. And what we have in verse 5 basically states the obvious. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? You see? How can you be one thing at home and something completely at church? It makes no sense. God is looking for that consistency and he's looking for that echo of if you're faithful in the little you're going to be faithful in the much. If you're faithful in the home I can be sure that you're going to be faithful in the church. And You see the Lord is looking for someone or individuals who will take care. He says how will he take care of the church of God taking care you know the Lord has left us here to take care of his business to take care of his church, his family, his children and if we haven't got responsible people in leadership roles doing that how is the church being taken care of and so again we see the importance of good leadership and we can see them we can see again as we look at the other aspect is that the false teachers were not taking care of God's house they were not taking care of God's business and you know just considering these things a small uh, an example of individuals not taking care of the things which were uh, place before them, you know, is um, Eli, Although if you remember Eli and his two sons Hophni and Phineas, and Eli you know, he wasn't responsible in leading his children keeping them in check, I mean his two boys, you know they were greedy, they were ir- immoral, they didn't care about the things of God and the scripture says in I think it's 2 Samuel, that Eli even honored his children more than the Lord. Eli, the the priest of God, honoring his children more than the Lord. And basically, God wasn't having it. And he judged the situation. And in one day, I mean, it gives the impression, in one day, his two sons died, and he was sitting on a chair that's why you should always sit on chairs properly he was sitting on a chair on the two back legs and then the news came to him about his two sons you know being killed and everything and he's cheering Boop, broke his neck and he died now it's a funny story but that's the judgment of God and God doesn't judge us in these ways today does he I mean because we know better health and safety Health and safety, don't sit on a chair like that. <laughs> but does God overlook these things or people who are not overseeing these church properly? I don't think so. God sees everything and he says, okay, well, I'm not going to judge it in that way, but I will judge it one day. And so it's a scary thing to think about so as we start preparing to close, let's go into verse 6. It says, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And here, you know, we could just consider this. In any walk of life, you know, would you give someone who is green as grass, you know, heavy responsibility? You just wouldn't do it. Someone who just doesn't know what they're doing. You just wouldn't give them a role of responsibility. But, hey, in the church, of course we would. we would he's a good guy looks good talks good knows a few scriptures yeah make him a leader it's ridiculous and Paul's just basically stating the obvious not a novice not a novice you know maybe to my detriment but I love when it says let a man be proved you know let me, let's sit down and watch your life for a, few, for a few months, even a few years. Let's see what's going on there. Again, the parable of the soul, you know, somebody who re- receives the word joyfully and it's up and it's like, yay, praise the Lord, hallelujah. As soon as that sun comes out, psh, bit of scorching. Totally gone, you never see him again. And so we've got to be careful because an individual who who is allowed to, a novice who is allowed to have a leadership role, wow, that's serious, because what Paul says is, he says, being puffed up with pride, they can get into a place they're thinking, yeah, I've arrived, I'm a leader, I'm something, and before they know it, pride. Pride just, and we all are guilty of pride on one level or another. Pride, and he fall into the same, condemnation as the devil well what condemnation is the devil under you see there's there's no there's no way of repentance for for the devil here is there he's been judged and it's like saying that this person gets to this place where like the devil there's no way back for him and that's scary and so Paul is just saying, you know, don't put novices in those positions because it's just not good. You see, we've got to allow people to have that opportunity to develop and mature spiritually amongst us. You know, sitting under the word, going to community group, coming to church, raising holy hands and singing praises unto the Lord, you know, and being discipled. And as they're being discipled, you know, we can start seeing those fruit of leadership qualities or maybe not leadership qualities. You know, you start seeing these things. So, again, let a man be proved. And in verse 7, as we begin to start landing this plane, it says, moreover, he must have a good testimony amongst those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil you see this isn't just about again i've hit this nail before but it's not just about how we look and how we sound in church in this grand building it's about well what's it like when you're out in the world what's it like when you're at work what's it like when you're at home What's it like when you're traveling to work, whether you drive, you're on the bus and somebody steps on your toe, or if you're short like me, they put their armpit in your face and you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? <laughs> now Lord, am I going to switch on a man? <laughs> or am I going to put on Christ? You don't know always put on Christ, don't you? Wow. You see, what happens when you're outside in the world? Do you have a good testimony? Do your neighbors think highly of you? Or they just think of, yeah, that's that person who never says hello to me. You know, always looking mean. If If I ask them for a glass of milk or a cup of milk, they never give it to me. Never give me any sugar. That's not you, I know. But you know what do your neighbors think about you what does what does the local news agent think of you are you the one who comes in with a nice smile every day and say yeah um i'm a copy of the daily mirror they still do the daily mirror don't know i'm digressing um but yeah what do your neighbors think of you or are you or have you got the neighbors from hell and you're always fighting with each other because they move their fence like an inch into your property and it's like, no, that's my line and, you know, I'll take you to court. I don't know where that came from. But um, you see the point? Amen? It, what do people think of you? You know, do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you love the Lord? You know, this, this is what... You know, the Apostle Paul is getting... And yet, specifically and primarily, he's talking to leaders, overseers. He is. But, you know, these are all things, you know, if we're honest with ourselves. They're all things which we need to work on in our own lives. Amen? They're all things. And so, individual moral character. Our family life. And our reputation. You know... These are the areas which God is looking at so that, you know, he can see whether we have the qualifications to lead his people. Amen? Okay, I don't have to worship teams there, but let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that um, your word is profitable for all things. And um, today I pray, Lord, and I hope that even though it was addressing leaders and we could even say it was specifically addressing men lord that we all are in a place lord where we need to hear these things we all need to display temperance and being sober minded Um, that if we have issues with being violent lord then help us to check ourselves help us to you know get rid of those things the old man in our life lord lord we we look to you because you know, we look at the list and we think, wow, I mean, who, who who's really qualified? You know, who is really qualified? And um, who really wants the job? I can see why people are like, you know what, that's not really a job for me. But Lord, you you impress it on people's hearts, Lord, to function within these roles, to be faithful within these roles. And so help us, Lord, as a congregation, Lord, to... to take you at your word lord and to as an ex- a local expression of your church lord to really just outwork these things fulfill these things lord help pastor robert pastor Ephraim, and myself lord as leaders to lead well um to not be puffed up lord to not be motivated by the wrong things help us to always be motivated by the right things lord and help us lord to to um, in a place, Lord, where we can instruct others and guide and lead others, Lord, to fulfill these roles also, Lord, so we can hand over the battle to them, Lord, and that your work will continue through the ages. So um, bless the rest of our time together, Lord. I pray, Lord, that there would be rich conversation about the text and that um, the rest of the day would be another opportunity, Lord, for us to glorify your name. We commit these things into your hands, Lord, in Jesus' name.